Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, I can't wait to hear what we have today. Yeah, we have a question that's a tough one. So I really respect uh, that uh, it's one that I think we'll both have some ideas, but I think we're going to refer to some of our other peers on this one. So here we go. Thanks for this question from the field. Hi, my name is Miss Young, and I work in the secondary setting. My question is, um, what resources and tips can you guys think that schools can use to continue to build relationships with parents who have been impacted by trauma without the parent feeling like judged or condescended? All right. So parents and who have been in trauma and what is our response? Well, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to approach this first um, from, from the perspective and I'm not positive. This is what Ms. Young was asking, but I think so. So if I understand correctly, the, the question was kind of, you know, the child has been impacted and how do we talk to the parents about what the child is experiencing without making the parents feel bad for what's happened. And understandably, often the parents have also been affected. But Lisa, as you know, you know, the, the term um, that you'll find out there is, is ACE, Adverse Childhood Experience. So anybody who's looking could, could search for, you know, tips for working with kids with adverse childhood experience. And just some, some quick facts, um, things that would fall under this category are things like households where there's substance abuse. And 28% of families and kids living in those households are, are exposed to that. Um, physical abuse, 26%. Um, divorce, 24%. Sexual abuse, 21% mental illness in the household, 20%, and on and on and on. And all of these things are really difficult subjects to talk to a parent about, but they're definitely impacting the kids. And as a teacher of kids with SED, I saw it all the time. Almost every kid in my class had been sexually abused and it, would, it, it was so frustrating because there was so little I could do. So I just want to acknowledge that right up front. So the hardest part probably is to have discussions without judging or sounding judgy and to really focus as a teacher, having a conversation with a parent, focus on being an active listener. So the types of things I might say is, you know, um, wow, Mrs. Deeker, it sounds like there's been a lot going on in the home and I realize that it's impacting Lisa. And I'm not saying you guys are, you know, I understand everybody's drinking or everything. I'm just saying, I understand there's a lot of things going on and it is impacting Lisa. So let's think about what we can do. Absolutely, if a teacher knows those things are going on and they should be talking to the social worker at the school for sure, but we're not the social worker. So we have to stay outside of, you know, that. We have to deal with the, the, the problem at hand, which is Lisa's behavior in my classroom and what's driving it, you know? So, so I think first and foremost, look up active listening, acknowledge that the parents may or may not realize how the child's being impacted 
But the one thing we can't do is to sound preachy or judgy. So it starts with a conversation. You know, I realize this is a tough, um, you know, you're, Lisa's going through a lot and there's some things at home that are impacting her. What do you think we can do about it? It, it needs to be we language. It needs to be absolutely no you language. <laughs> That's my first tip. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And, and I think, you know, as teachers and, and we know from COVID, we don't even know the impact. You know, I, I think the discussion is that there will be trauma from this and, and there may or may not be. I mean, we just don't know. There's so much unknown, but I think it's now a, a great time. And I would encourage Miss Young to listen to a TED talk by Nadine Burke Harris, where she talks about the, she's a, a medical doctor, talks about the impact of trauma on the brain. And I think understanding the trauma impact on the kids so that we aren't asking the parent to fix something that may be a cycle the parent can't fix either. And maybe it is a social worker or the psychologist or the mental health counselor or the pediatrician that needs to be involved because the trauma has caused other issues such as ADHD, OCD. And I think sometimes when the parent is a part of the trauma cycle, we tend to think, oh, well, the parent wanted to, they could fix it. Well, they may be caught in the same cycle the child is in. And so I like the judgment-free zone, but I also like thinking about knowing what trauma is and making sure that we know the diagnosis. Then I would go into any meeting with a parent, period, trauma or not, with always three positives or four positives when possible to one area I want to work on. So also don't, you know, when the parent comes in and they're not sitting and they're not writing and they're not drawing and they're not doing this and they're not doing versus, you know what, <laughs> this might sound familiar. Joshua can do these three things, but we're most worried that his literacy is not developing or remote. So name a behavior that you're worried about, or we're worried that, that he seems very distracted. So the parent has something very concrete, but it's not judgmental that we're worried about this behavior. Is there anything the parent? Yeah. They're distracted at home. Cause there's so much chaos going on. Well, is there anything at home we could do to, to re because I'm thinking about it in my own classroom following the Goldilocks principle. Maybe I have too much on my wall. So taking ownership of that behavior in your classroom so that it's a shared approach to the trauma problem, instead of it's just you need to fix this. Now we, I like the we language, but I'm doing something now. What would that parent maybe be willing to do in return? And I, I, I think you're exactly right. And that idea of creating a place that feels safe for the student is, is critical. And I, that is where I started with my kids with SED. I taught them to design their own little safe space if it needed to have music in it, if it needed to have X, Y, or Z in it, that's what they did. And that's a conversation you could have with parents and say, you know, it looks like Lisa, um, you know, I, I know she's trying to get her footing in our class. Um, I know that she uh, has some anxiety about things outside of the classroom. So is there, is there a, a safe place in, in, in the home that she could set up a study corner? That's an action item. At least you can pose it and it's not judging. You're just saying, can you give this kid control of one little corner in your house so she can feel like she's got a place? You know, so that's a good example of an action item. There's some other things, you know, just in terms of, Lisa, to be honest, here's a very specific example. When I was very young in teaching, I was leading a lesson on, you know, the don't do drugs. I'm sure it was part of the dare thing. 
<laughs> and, um, you Pain know, <laughs> just, yeah, I really am just say no to drugs or whatever we were saying at the time. And I mean, I guess we're still saying just say no to drugs, but anyway, I, was gonna say, I don't think we've changed the message. Yeah. Maybe just mantra. So I was doing this scripted lesson and a middle school student raised his hand and he was being very nice about it. He wasn't kidding. He's like, but that's how my family makes money. So you know, like, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, that was a good reminder to me. And he was so authentic in saying that. He's like, what do you want me to do about it? Like, I can't really tell my parents, you know what I mean? So why are you judging my parents kind of thing? So it was interesting. And I can't go to the parents and say, hey, can you guys quit doing, you know, dealing drugs? Um, because it's hurting your son. All I can do is go to the social worker and then try to navigate that conversation with that student. And that's not one that I navigated in front of everyone else. But it was something that, you know, potentially would be impacting his work at school. So getting kids, one of the things that I had to do with all of my kids in my, my classroom who were SED, I did have to get them to learn to separate school from home and compartmentalize. And I, I really hate to, I really hate to say that, but from a practical level, it was okay. Here's how we do this at school. Here's what we're doing at school. And then whatever was working in school, that's when I would reach back to the family and say, here's what we're doing. That's really working. Can we, can we try some of this at home? And when we're having those conversations, and this is just from a mental health website, um, there are some other things specifically for talking to people about mental health issues, because it's a very tricky topic. Um, one main tip is to set aside time with no distractions. So even as a, as a teacher, you know, having that, do you have five minutes we can talk and making sure that's what we're doing. Um, and also really important is to let, let the person say as much or as little as they want to. But I will tell you from experience, I, I'm not a counselor. I did not talk to parents about what was actually literally going on in their home. I didn't yeah. need to know all of that and I can't do anything about all of that. Right. So, you know, it was always, you know, I didn't diagnose what was happening. I didn't try to second guess their feelings, but what I did try to do was to steer the conversation into language of well-being. So almost, uh, you know, you and I talk all the time about a broken record response you know, my response to almost anything they would say is, well, let's see if we can find a resource for that. And I would literally real time Google resources in the community for whatever it was they said. And again, that we language, well, let's take, let's take a minute. Let's stop, let's stop the conversation and Google this right now, because I, I believe there's a crisis helpline. Let's check that one out. So the best I could do, I felt as a teacher was to help guide people to possible resources um, in a really non-judgmental way and continue to use positive language about well-being. Yeah, and I'm going to go with protect your mental health, but try to also understand the state that parent is in. And literally, you know, I, I learned from a colleague who's just an amazing colleague at UW-Milwaukee. One time we were talking about some of the schools I was in and she said, Lisa, what you got to remember when you're in those neighborhoods, kids never feel bad in where they live because it's where they live. 
they don't know better. They don't know different. So do make sure you don't judge, you know, a kid who's never been eight blocks away to Lake Michigan when they live eight blocks away. I can't say, well, you haven't been to Lake Michigan. Why is that versus, oh, okay, well then let's, let's take up a picture and look at Lake Michigan. I think the same is true for families. I think the best thing you can do for parents is ask them to share with you not their daily trauma, you don't want that, <laughs> but when there is a situation that will help you understand the kid's going to walk through the door and it's a bad day. And I think that was the, you know, um, the grandparent is in the home and is in you know, hospice now, or their cat died or, you know, and, and maybe helping coach those parents, not how to be a parent, because that's judging, but coaching that these are things as a teacher if you can share them with me when they're major, it would help me know, because I like to use an analogy when I talk to parents that their kid may be like, what we're looking for is the car driving down the road, just right. <laughs> and, and some kids come into my classroom, uh, you know, flooded gas metal to the pedal. I'm here. And it's like, okay, that's great. But so are 25 other people. Um, and so, you know, what's causing that. And so sometimes I talk to parents, like your kid comes in the door, like the gas is, is full throttle and that's fine, but we seem to need some calming. Is there anything we could think of that we could do together to help them into the room a little bit calmer? Or is there anything going on that would help me understand that or vice versa? I'm, I'm here, Mrs. Taker. I don't want to take out my books. And, and again, maybe that kid isn't sleeping. Maybe I don't know. So again, I'm not judging. I'm providing a kind of an analogy, you know, that we're looking for that just right principle for your child as they walk in the door. And can you help me think of things we can do together? Or can you let me know when there's going to be that trigger? Yeah. When my boyfriend comes back, that gets him really, you know, whatever it is that it is. So letting me know through a simple text, email, or a quick phone call, I can't talk to you every day about it. Cause that's what you don't want to have happen is every day you've got that parent calling, but if you can let me know when those triggers might happen so that I can be prepared to change my behavior, to help your child the best as possible. Again, taking that we approach that you started with Becky. That's, that's kind of my best ideas there. Yeah. I think that's a, a good, a good point and keeping, just keeping it really simple in terms of, you know, when you find something that's working in the classroom sharing it in the simplest way possible with the parent, you know, again, non, non-judgmentally. Um, and Lisa, I, my final thought was, I want to remind everybody when it comes to adverse childhood experience, it's not a matter of SES or, you know, race or anything else. When you really look SES at is social, emotional status or social, social, socioeconomic status. Sorry. I was economic status. So, you know, these things like, you know, abuse and, uh, uh, substance abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, things like this go across all demographics. So sometimes we don't even recognize, um, problems that kids are having that are affecting them, the trauma that they've experienced might go unnoticed just because they don't look like someone who would have experienced that type of trauma. So I remind everybody to take kids seriously and look for changes and notice signs of trauma. We're not counselors. We're not going to be counselors. But again, if we can kind of apply that same type of language of, you know, um, how are you doing? Uh, what can I do to help you be successful in here? And, and really listening to what kids say and responding. 
Yeah. And I'm just going to end and remind us all that when you're in trauma and all of us go into trauma at certain points in time, if someone is sick in your home, if you don't feel well, those are short-term trauma. Trauma can be, you know, lifelong, which you're talking about. These ACE events are usually really, really, really traumatic and, and have it lasting impacts, which is what I love about the Ted talk again by Nadine Burke Harris. But we know that that often um, impacts students' self-regulation and executive functioning to make the best decisions. So do remember if the parent is in trauma and the child is in trauma, sometimes giving them very simple choices of would it be better to, you know, have this book sent home with your child or have them stay in the after school club to have the book read to them? It's that simple piece because the child and the parent may struggle during times of trauma to make decisions. We've all been there, you know, someone's screaming at you on the phone and your taxes are due and your child is having a tantrum and you're in the middle of the, of the grocery store. You don't make the best decisions. You usually say, shut up. I know they're, you know, like you lose it. But imagine if that was your day, Monday through Friday, you would start to always make a decision that solves something in a, not a positive way. That's what we often see as the impact of trauma And so reminding yourself that usually calm, simple, would this be better or would this be better? And not telling the parent what to do because that's judging them, but giving them very simple choices because if they're in trauma and their child is too, that's a kind of approach that normally helps the most. Yep. Self-soothing techniques and teaching kids and any parents who are willing to listen, you know, how, how to, how to protect themselves emotionally in a crisis. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Deep breaths as you're pulling your kid out of the racks of Kmart. Does that date me a little bit? Yeah. Anyway, that's all I'll say. So, well, we thank you for joining us today. Thanks for the great questions. We're looking for more questions. Please send them to our Google voicemail at 407-900-9305, or you are welcome to put them on our Facebook site or on our Twitter at Access Practical. Thanks.